0: If someone is facing criminal charges and can't afford an attorney, the U.S. Constitution says, hey, the state you're living in must provide legal representation. This is where public defenders, or in some cases, often in rural areas, assigned counsel come into the picture. But here's the problem. Unlike adults facing prosecution in Michigan, there's no centralized structure, no training, not even a budget when it comes to juvenile public defense. In some cases, children face charges with no attorney at all. Today, we're talking about public legal defense in the juvenile justice system in Michigan, and all about a bill that proposes to change it around. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. House Bill 4630 would provide funding for indigent defense for juveniles, It did not make it to a vote in the Michigan State Senate last session. Today, we have two advocates coming on the show. Lauren Kogali is executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan. And Nathan Triplett is director of public policy and government affairs for the State Bar Association. He's also the State Bar Board President. Constitution requires the state to provide legal representation to everybody who's facing incarceration. But in Michigan, we understand that children regularly face prosecution without a lawyer who understands juvenile law, or sometimes even without any attorney at all. I guess, Lauren, can you start out by explaining for us how indigent defense for adults might be different than what minors face when they enter the system?
1: Over the last decade, the state of Michigan has invested a lot of um, important resources into ensuring that every adult who appears and is charged by the government in a criminal case has an attorney uh, to represent them, and that that attorney is qualified as training, has fair compensation for their representation. That same system does not yet exist for juveniles. And the work that's been done there is, you know, an acknowledgement that liberty is one of our most fundamental constitutional rights. And it's imperative that the same efforts that have been made by the state of Michigan to ensure that adults have effective assistance of counsel in criminal cases, that those same rights exist for children in Michigan who are facing similar circumstances. And that's what House Bill 4630 would start the process uh, for ensuring those rights are protected.
0: Right. Nate, can you fill us in a bit on the challenges that might contribute to a situation where there are lawyers with insufficient training or sometimes even no counsel at all for young people who find themselves in a courtroom?
2: Absolutely. In any conversation I have about this issue, I try to start by really underlining the fact that we are talking about children, and the science is very clear here. You know, the the inability or the uh, diminished ability of a child to process and understand information and consequences relative to an adult really goes to the core of why it's so important to have counsel for children and why it's fundamental to their ability to have fair proceedings when they find themselves in a Delinquency proceeding. And the court, the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, has recognized that fact now for nearly 60 years uh, in the case that announced that juveniles had a right to counsel in delinquency proceedings. You know, the court said something that seems very common sense, which is that a child requires the guiding hand of counsel at every step in the proceedings against them. And that's especially important when you think about the fact that all too often, there is this belief that juvenile proceedings are less important or less impactful than adult proceedings. But the reality is, is a child may find themselves in secure detention, incarcerated as a result of these proceedings, they could be separated from their family, they uh, could have their education disrupted. So the Constitution requires, and I think common sense uh, also demands that we make sure that these young people have the support of an attorney with the necessary experience and training to help them through that very difficult process. It's important for them, their families, their communities, and uh, we would argue the state overall.
0: Nate, what is going on, though? Are, are municipalities and counties just so strapped in terms of council and, and possible budgets? I mean, I know it's certainly true in, you know, the tri-county area that providing council for those who can't afford it themselves is really limited. Is is it just that, that the counties and cities don't have... The facilities to do this or that they won't do it because it hasn't been specifically mandated by maybe the state supreme court
2: well resource constraints are certainly an issue but i think as lauren mentioned one of the things in the adult context that the michigan indigent defense commission has really done in a critically important way is uh, it's a system that respects local implementation of indigent defense but adopts minimum statewide standards that ensure that there is a baseline of training and experience and compensation across the state that make sure that those local systems are meeting those standards. There is no such system today in the juvenile context. And what that leads to is a scenario where if you're a young person in Detroit in Wayne County or in Lansing and in Ingham County or in Traverse City and Grand Traverse County, you may be getting dramatically different levels of service and uh, access to counsel and support. And so having that. S- centralized state system backed with state funding to ensure that those resources are available is really central to getting this done for young people. And we know that because 3-2013, before the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission existed in the adult context, we had much the same problem for adults, where the kind of justice you are receiving varied a lot by jurisdiction. And MIDC, in the 10 years that it has been in existence, has developed those standards, is in the process of implementing them, has overseen that implementation and is now really a national model of how to do this well in the adult context. And by passing House Bill 4630 and expanding its coverage to include juveniles, we can also be a leader for children as well.
0: Lauren Kagali, can you give us a sense of what this looks like in a courtroom when juveniles who are accused of crimes are not represented? What, what can be some of the consequences when that is the case?
1: You know, I often think of the criminal legal system for justice impacted people. It's like throwing a stone into a pond. One stone hits the water and there are a ton of ripple effects. And so when we talk about the minimum standards and the importance of those minimum standards, what I I think it's really important to remember is we're talking about the most basic things, like people having counsel with them to explain the charges against them and the consequences of making decisions like pleading or going to trial. We're talking about having the time and space for someone to be able to meet with an attorney so that when they're walking into a courtroom, you know, they're not being told what they're charged with or being asked to take steps that have long term consequences without having any guidance from someone with experience from the system. And so this is a question of looking long term, right? Um, not, we know that when uh, people are impacted by the criminal legal system, it's not just the individual that's impacted, right? Their families are impacted, their communities are impacted, their schools are impacted, and ultimately, the state's impacted. And we know that when children become sort of ensnared in the legal system, that that's often a gateway into an adult criminal legal system. And so, Um, Making sure that when people appear in court, that they have qualified, trained representation uh, by an attorney standing next to them to protect their fundamental rights and make sure that they are able to participate in the process uh, is critically important. Does either of
0: you have a sense of the the regional uh, nature of this problem? Maybe where, you know, where in Michigan, some of the biggest difficulties in securing counsel for young people have happened?
2: What I would say about that is uh, very similar to other legal needs across the state. It it varies widely, but there are significant rural areas of the state in uh, western and northern Michigan where you already have legal deserts where there aren't a lot of lawyers available. You see the same type of stresses in the juvenile justice system where there's a dearth of attorneys or trained attorneys in those areas. But even in larger urban areas like Detroit and Lansing and Kalamazoo, and elsewhere, you know, there are challenges, they're just different. Those challenges are that there's such a high demand because of the number of cases that are being processed that there is a challenge. It's certainly not a geographically isolated problem. It exists across the state. Just how it manifests itself varies widely across our 83 counties.
0: We need to take a break. More with Lauren Kogali and Nathan Triplett in a minute.
1: Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu.
0: Nate Triplett, you uh, hinted at some things that have happened to make sure that Public Defense Council ha- can can be made available to all Michiganders who are over 18. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about what you have in mind for a successful model from another jurisdiction that might inform ways that we educate lawyers who are working with youth in the criminal system?
2: So one of the strengths of the legislation that we're talking about, House Bill 4630, is it's not trying to reinvent the wheel. We have uh, a system in the adult context that is tested and has had very positive results over the course of the last 10 years. So what that legislation would do is expand the mandate of the MIDC from just adults to include adults and juveniles. So the same type of process would then move forward where they would adopt minimum standards that would apply to systems across the state. And then it would be up to those local systems to implement those standards with state funding. So you may have, and you see this in the adult context now, some jurisdictions that have public defender offices, freestanding public agencies that do this work. You may have other jurisdictions where they're still using an assigned council uh, type system. There's a lot of local control involved here, but the key part is that you have this proven statewide system that establishes minimum standards and says, however you're going to actually implement this on the local level, counties, you have to meet these standards to make sure that we are meeting our constitutional obligation to these young people, uh, that they be provided with adequate counsel. You know, We'd have a much bigger challenge on our hands right now if we were talking about trying to tackle this problem from zero, but we're not. We're expanding an already existing, already proven system to include young people, which is a huge leg up for Michigan.
0: I understand that the whole point of this bill is just to encourage and, and you know, show a way for local jurisdictions to, to deal with these issues and to provide counsel. But is the issue of cost to local jurisdictions, is, is that a problematic point in talking to legislators about it, Nate?
2: Well, I think first uh, it's important to note that part of how the MIDC functions is that it is the state, not the local, that does the primary funding for these services. Locals apply for a grant and the state funds that grant on an annual basis to implement these services. Uh, And as to the cost issue writ large, I, I would say two things. The first is that, in my opinion, I think that this would be a bargain at twice the price. And one of the advantages we have of using an existing system is much of that. Is already in place but more importantly just like your household budget there are things that are essential and things that are uh, would be nice and meeting our constitutional obligations falls in that essential category so to the extent that folks have concerns about the cost of this legislation as they did with the original midc bill for adults back in 2013 this is something well within the means of the state of michigan it is a constitutional obligation. And I also urge folks to think about not just the immediate budgetary impact in any given year, but if you think about the long-term impact uh, of cost savings to the state and to communities of making sure that young people have adequate supports so that they do not end up in the adult criminal legal system with all the expenses entailed there, it ends up being a savings in the long run, both fiscally and otherwise, to these individuals, to the state, Uh, to its communities, uh, and as I said, uh, is a bargain in that context.
0: Lauren Kagali, I I think the the question that's been asked most often on our show over uh, over the last few months of the year is just what are the prospects for next year? The legislative session, what did run short last year, and there was a lot of business left on the table. What is your sense of where this uh, House Bill 4630 might go from here and whether it's going to get another shot in the legislature?
1: Thanks for that question. We know that the Senate is invested uh, in improving, really adopting transformational improvements to the juvenile justice system in Michigan. And the 19 bills that they adopted are critically important. We believe that the Senate is invested in this. And my hope is that we will see it prioritized as they head back into the session. Look, we know that that sometimes constitutional obligations cost money to be able to move forward. And moving this bill forward would be just the start of a long process. Um, You know, we really look forward to the Senate taking this up so the ball can start rolling, enabling the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission to start setting standards, to start setting up processes, to collect data that help monitor Uh, what's happening in the system and to work with municipalities and counties uh, to ensure that they're able to set up systems that reflect are reflective of their their
2: community as well. The only thing that I uh, would add is just to note that I think it's fair to say that with a tightly divided legislature the last session was fairly partisan and a lot of things didn't make it across the line but let's remember the bill we're talking about House Bill 4630 is a bill uh, sponsored by a Republican, Sarah Leitner, that nevertheless passed the House of Representatives by a broad bipartisan vote of 85-25. And it was advanced in the Senate all the way to third reading. So the very last stage in the process. So when we are here talking about what needs to be done to get this bill across the finish line, it's one vote in the state Senate and then sending it to Governor Whitmer for her signature as they did with 19 other bills in this package. I look at this upcoming year as a space where it is quite possible that we can get that done when senators are asked to take a look at the work they've already done. We ask them to finish the job uh, and to do it in the same kind of bipartisan fashion that their House colleagues have already done it.
0: Lauren, Nate, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, April. Thank you. That's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Baer. You can find full stateside episodes at michiganpublic.org. Today's episode was produced by our podcast editor, Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Cabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our interns are Olivia Meradian and Lauren Neong. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. Thanks for listening with us today. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.